Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Vincent Gambini shares his very unlikely path from a big four consulting position to a lucrative private equity fund, how he positioned himself at the big four in order to be more attractive to PE firms, a key piece of advice to his younger self, and how he got his big break. Enjoy. Vincent Gambini, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, happy to be on. Thanks for having me, Patrick. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick overview of your background. Yeah, of course. Um, so undergraduate degree in economics uh, from Georgetown University. Uh, didn't have an all too stellar GPA, probably you know, slightly above a, a 3.0 or um, little around there. Um, mm-hmm. Originally went out of school to big four consulting um, along the lines of like traditional um, consulting groups. So strategy and operations, not necessarily um, a deals group. Um, really wanted exposure to M&A and to the mm-hmm. world of private equity um, and was able to make the leap uh, from the kind of strategy and ops consulting uh, to a mid-market private equity firm uh in New York, that uh, specialized in you know technology investments, and was there for about three years um, before going to business school, uh, where I'm now at uh, Chicago Booth. Great. So thanks for that. I think your background is actually really a little bit shocking in terms of, if I'm being honest. So we see people coming on this pod and just in the community themselves not being able to break into private equity from top investment banks, yet you were able to break in from what's considered even a harder place, which is um, like a, a, a big four accounting firm. Um, now, obviously, you weren't you weren't doing accounting work, correct? When you were at, at the big four, you somehow managed to get into a group or do certain work that was more attractive to, to be, is that correct? Yeah, um, I would kind of classify it as like the traditional management consulting work. Got it. Um, so doing, you know, projects for clients in either corporate strategy or looking at like operational improvement opportunities. But you weren't at a McKinsey, Bain or a BCG, you were at a big four and you were still able to make that leap. So what, what, yeah. why do you think that's the case? If you had to look back and say to yourself, Hey, I got into private equity because of X, Y, and Z, is there something you can kind of point to? Is it just, um, I don't know. Cause you, I mean, you didn't do, you, you went to a great school, but you didn't do amazingly well there either. So is that, first off, let's, let's kind of rewind and go start back there. Is that kind of, you know, with your GPA, did you, were you recruiting for banking out of school? What happened there? Um, did, was it just like, Hey, I'm just gonna, 
go to big four because I want to go big four? Or what can, can you give us a little more uh, information there? Yeah, for sure. Because I do, I do think it's kind of an interesting part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think anyone who might have been in a similar boat, you know, uh, maybe, you know, flirting with majoring in engineering might have suffered, uh, you know, similar GPA uh, <laughs> troubles that I did. Um, but, uh, you know, but ultimately, I think uh, I, I didn't have as many doors, you know, open upon graduation. You know, the 3-5 cutoff, I think, is a very real thing for recruiters. Um and my junior year, I actually decided to intern at like a hedge fund of funds, kind of on the investment management route. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, quickly realized that, you know, being away from companies um, is a very different kind of investing. You know, you're sort of a few layers up. Um, and so when I returned to campus, you know, that fall, I, you know, I was still interested in maybe banking, um, consulting was starting to seem a little bit more attractive to me because I wanted to stay close to, you know, strategic projects at actual operating companies. Um, even if I was going to bring that investment perspective. Um, and, and so uh, did you feel like kind of read that? Were you uh, getting actual any looks from, were you getting any looks from banks um, your senior year? Or like, I know the GPA, you said it's, it's a real, the 3.5 GPA cutoff seemed to be a real thing. Does that mean, you were dropping your resume for banking positions and just not getting selected or did some of your networking get you a first round interview? Um, yeah, I actually, I actually had a banking offer even, Great. um, mm-hmm. out of undergrad. I think, you know, they weren't with, you know, they weren't with bulge racket banks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were with, you know, solid banks in, in New York that, you know, I knew that I, you know, I put in a couple of years, I would absolutely get my shot. Um, that's switching private equity. Um, I think, so I had that and then I had this other, this big four opportunity where, um, to be honest, it was the, you know, it's not a, you know, big recruiting pipeline from, from Georgetown, but I had just gone to a job fair, met a few people who I really connected with and, um, felt like it'd just be kind of a fun place, um, to build some operational chops, um, over the next few years mm-hmm. and a good place to launch a career that was, you know, kept my options open. Um, right. And when I can kind of compare those two offers, I think, um, it was, it was an easy decision for me. Um, was the bank you got an offer, was the bank you got an offer from, was it doing, did it not have strong deal flow? Was it just, you felt like it wasn't as good a match or something can you be a little more specific about why it was obvious for you? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that because I think a lot of people would jump to the banking job. It wasn't a huge, yeah, it wasn't a huge brand. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely would be recognizable, I think. Um, it's kind of middle market advisory. Yep. Um, but to be honest, like, you know, during like the super day and stuff, you know, it just didn't feel that connection. Um, and for me, at least, it's kind of like, I think a big decision people have to make when they're making the decision between like banking or consulting. It's kind of like where you want to play in the investment world. If you do go to private equity is, you know, do you want to be, you know, more of a deal guy. Do you want to work on deals where um, maybe the, you know, the debt uh, component plays a larger role in returns? You know, it's more about leverage and a lot of the emphasis is going to be on the financial model. Um, or do you want to maybe go a little bit smaller company? Do you want to go to the, you know, middle market or the lower middle market um, where maybe having a unique view, you know, of 
you know, the commercial side of, of the business and, and, you know, diving a little bit deeper into the commercial diligence rather than the, you know, financial diligence and trying to take like an, you know, unique approach of strategy might be where you play as an investor. You feel that's just at the lower middle market. There's just a lot more funds that are looking for kind of people who are strong operators versus transaction deal guys. Is that, do you feel like that's the case? Or, or even just a little bit more emphasis on that skill set. Okay. Um, that's fair. This is, I think this is something I just kind of came into by chance. Um, so I definitely didn't know this when I was an undergrad. Um, but the fund that I ended up going to, you know, very intentionally recruited like 90% consultants hmm. and like 10% bankers. Interesting. And, and they, and I know they did that because, you know, they played kind of almost in like the growth buyouts kind of space where look, we would probably put like two to three times leverage, which isn't a ton right. on businesses. So debt really wasn't like a huge component of, you know, our returns. And to be honest, you know, when businesses are growing, you know, let's call it mid teens, mm -hmm. a lot of the success in the investment is going to be derived on, you know, from sustaining that growth rather than like anything else within the LBO model. Like trying to cost cut um, or so anything like that. So that's where we would yep. focus our diligence efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what, and if you think about, you what know, were the, getting, what were the deal uh, sizes or the checks you guys, what were the deal sizes or checks you guys were cutting, you know, rough ranges? It doesn't have to be anything specific, but you know. Yeah. I'd say, uh, pretty broad, but I'd say most fell within like the 25 to 75, mm -hmm. uh, equity check size. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but we've done, you know, a few handful that are bigger than that. I would say that's kind of our. Well, it's not tiny. It's not tiny. Then it was a, pr a pretty good size, and the fund was probably yeah, if, pretty, at that size. size. My guess is the fund was around a billion or a couple billion, or you know, a little under around there, anywhere between eight hundred million and a couple billion. I'd say, or no, a little under a billion. Okay, yeah. So that makes that that check size makes yeah. sense for that. Um, you can't do too much smaller. You'll be you'll never get it all put to work. <laughs> um, or I think yeah, yeah. we would err we would err on the side of, of being very concentrated. Mm -hmm. um, so it might actually surprise you, you know, how big of a check we would write compared to the size of our fund. Okay. Um, but I think as I talk more about the fund and, and kind of how, you know, we operate it, I think that'll start to make more and more sense. Cool. So do you want to, do you think now is a good time we maybe go back to a little bit in terms of the recruiting? And, and so um, maybe we could talk a little bit about, first recruiting at the, you know, the, the interviews for the investment bank and the, the big four, how were they, I'd love to hear how they were different, how they were similar. Um, we can kind of start there and then talk about the transition. Yeah, Sound for good? sure. Yeah. Um, so starting with kind of the, coming out of undergrad. Yeah, it'd be great just to hear. Yeah. Just to hear a little bit about that. It'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is kind of, I kind of mentioned how I kind of came back to the, campus in the fall knew mm -hmm. I didn't want to go the investment management route, uh, anymore. Um, so we're, you know, trying, uh, investment banking consulting broadly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I even threw my resume out to a few kind of like, uh, rotational leadership development roles. Yep. Um, FLDPs. I don't yep. know if I went too far with any of those. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll say for, so for banking, I think they still had a very formal process 
And I think this has to do with Georgetown as an undergrad spot. Very, you know, very strong finance school. I think that pipeline is very well established. Um, so most of those interviews are like on campus, uh, you know, first rounds, uh, maybe after a phone screen uh, with someone in HR, um, but then, you know, fly up to New York for a super day. Um, Do you mind if I ask you, I mean, I'd be surprised with your GPA, you were able in such a competitive school, you were able to even land more than a, you know, one or two first rounds. Were you, were you getting, were you, was there, was there, I assume there was a relatively low hit rate or were you somehow able to kind of still get the first rounds through some sort of networking? So there was a fairly low hit rate, I'd say. Okay. Um, I was I was pretty well prepared, and there's definitely like a story that I would tell behind my GPA, right? It has to do with like switching from a very technical, you know, side of the university to graduating with a degree in econ. You know, right. I wasn't necessarily being grouped apples to apples with my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have an econ and, or major GPA, and, like, and then like your QM right next to it on your resume? I assume. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's basically what I, you know, what I tried to do. And I also, yeah, you know, I think I was like my second semester junior year, I was like Dean's List or something like that. So I right. threw that on there just to show that like, look, this is a, you know, this is a, uh, there's a story here. Right. But to be honest, a, something like that doesn't necessarily jump off the page in just a resume. Right. So it really took the getting in front of someone and explaining it to them, um, so a very high success rate from like first round interviews to second round, right? But a pretty low from like resume drop uh, the first round. That, that's what I would and, assume. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's fair enough. Sorry. Yeah. So and, you I think, and, and the opportunity I ended up getting um, at the Big Four Consulting wasn't a just a resume drop. Mm-hmm. Um, the so this is kind of a nuance of being at Georgetown, but a lot of the consulting firms that go to Georgetown recruit for their like DC offices, um, which do almost all like federal consulting work. And for me, like knowing that I want to do something maybe like private equity in the future, like federal consulting would have just put another step um, that I needed to take. Like eventually I'd need to switch from federal to commercial, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to get involved at companies before I'd be able to make the jump. So, um, I needed to kind of get a little creative there. Um, like I said, I ended up meeting, you know, uh, a few folks from the firm at a job fair um, on campus. Did you have they to were, travel to New York? They were actually there. Like, like did you end um, up traveling? So I ended up traveling. They, they did like one interview when they were on campus interviewing MBA students. Okay. Um, they interviewed like, they interviewed me just in that time slot, um, which ended up working really well. Perfect. Um, because it kind of put me in like a different, you know, different category. Um, and I was able to, you know, to kind of get to their super day, which their super day, I don't know if you, you know, you're familiar with the pipelines of recruiting that some of these big four firms had set up. It's a monster. But like <laughs> their super day was, yeah, it was in, I think it was in Virginia at like this hotel that was like more of like a compound, mm-hmm. but there had to be like a thousand kids doing super days on the same day. It's nuts. And, it was just a crazy, crazy animal. Um, but definitely like kind of seeing that beast and seeing how it's organized and, and how many kids are going through that pipeline, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, astounding and it kind of gave me confidence that it could be pretty cool. Um, at least, you know, a good place to expand my network, if not, uh, 
it's not a good place to launch my career. So tell me a little bit about the actual interview and, and you know, maybe the super day at, at the uh, big four versus the, the bank. Obviously, yeah, so <laughs> obviously the big the four was, it was be, massive yeah. and the bank super day was probably like one, one hundredth size, but yeah, besides that. Yeah. The, I think, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with the bank. I think this will be pretty typical um, of readers that have, you know, read stuff from the, you know, the IB forum. Um, but, you know, you know, first round, they're going to throw some technicals at you, uh, you know, make sure you're doing, you know, the prep necessary for a banking, uh, banking interview. Um, I think for a lot of people in that, they, you know, they were also very interested in my like decision to not pursue investment management. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I had that, you know, down pat of like, look, I want to, you know, I want to be closer to the companies. Um, I think that was pretty well understood, but just because they were working in finance, they were curious. Uh, my investment, you know, management internship was at a pretty big name. So they were curious about, you know, kind of hearing why I would not go to a place uh, that was so well known. Did, um, they, did they push and ask why you didn't have a return then, offer? Did they, did they push you and be like, Hey, why aren't you going back there? Or did you have a return offer? And you said you didn't want it. Yeah. And I had, I had a return offer. I, I think I knew that it really wasn't for me though. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I did say, yeah, I got a return offer. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right group, wasn't the right area. Um, maybe they're not the right time in my career to make that, um, you know, to make that decision. But, um, I wanted to do something, you know, where I, you know, maybe focus a little bit more on gaining a skill set that was transferable. Yeah, um, and to be clear, so for the banking or consulting, the listeners, just so they they understand, that your internship was in a fund of funds, which means you're you're not at a it's not a hedge fund where you're making direct investments in say public companies or doing the analytical research on the actual um, buy versus sell decision. You're actually investing in different managers, correct? So you're doing analysis on right. the actual funds. So I think it's important for the listeners to understand why you might have been more hesitant um, because a lot of people are like, what are you doing? You know, you could have been in a hedge fund right out of school or you could have been, you know, I think people need to understand a fund of funds is very different because you're not making uh, direct investments. You're actually doing more of the analytical, uh, a lot of your analysis is on the specific funds themselves, right? So I just wanted to make that clear to right. some listeners. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, you yeah, can continue. I, it, it, honestly, I think it is a cool <clears throat> role. Um, looking mm-hmm. at funds, you know, meeting with managers, hearing about their strategies, hearing about how they, you know, you know, derive alpha. But um, out of school, there's just not a ton of like that fundamental, you know, Excel modeling or you know, critical thinking and problem solving. It can pigeon yeah. these other roles. It can pigeonhole um, you too. It can pigeonhole so yeah, you. So like, yeah. The exit ops from that are not, yeah, I don't think are, are super broad. Um, I mean, I think the best exit op that I've heard of from a fund of funds role is like, you maybe can get into like a co-investments group Yep. or you can go to a hedge fund and be kind of like their, you know, fundraising or, you know, investor relations. Investor relations. Yep. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I, and I'd say, um, I guess back to like the investment banking super day, um, which, you know, I had, I actually did a couple of these. So I, you know, I was ready for it. They end up being like really long days, at least, you know, they, they fly you out on like a 6am flight, you know, at least for me, it was from DC to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically spend, I don't know, I think I spent, you know, most of the morning doing like three or four interviews, um, and getting progressively to more senior people bank throughout the day. Yep. Um, I did, 
and maybe had two different styles. One of the banks had like, you know, maybe 10 to 15 kids come in the same day to do their super days. So it was kind of like everyone's like, you know, switching offices around the building and you're, you know, seeing your peers um, going through the same thing. Uh, and do you mind, bank do you mind sharing, do you mind sharing, do you mind sharing the names of these banks since you didn't end up going there just so, for the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. So I had, uh, Guggenheim, uh, was one of them. Oppenheimer, uh, was another, and then Harris Williams. Okay, great. Like a third. Thank you. And get some good context. So you kind of get the, you know, kind of the, the tier. Yeah. The context, um, I think generally, uh, good banks. I think they're, you know, they're probably even better than they were, you know, a, you know, a few years ago when I was kind of going through recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think either maybe it's either Guggenheim or Oppenheimer. They did kind of the bring all the kids on one day and shuffle them around the office, and then like you meet and like have lunch together and talk to the recruiters. Um, and then I think in the afternoon we did all the partners, or like the managing directors, mm-hmm. and I think there's definitely a heavier technical emphasis in the morning, right? When you're speaking to the, um, kind of to the analysts and to the associates, they're the ones that are really going to drill you on, um, knowing your technical stuff. Um, maybe how much, you how well, you know, accounting, if it's not on your resume. Right. Um, and really, cause, re- cause really what they're trying to discern, not only can you, like, do you know, a few things, have you done your, have you done your homework? Because, you know, banking is a job that's very much about enthusiasm and, if you didn't have the time to like put any effort to, uh, to learn the technical, uh, you know, the technical skills and some of the equations, then like, how are you going to have the enthusiasm to, you know, stay that extra five hours, um, right. to scrub, you know, different <laughs> yeah. good point. That's a good point. On a, on a deck, you know, it's, right. it's really just a pure effort, uh, you know, decision. And I think, that's really what they want out of their analysts, right? They want you to be able to say, you know, I'm willing to roll my sleeves. I'm willing to do the work necessary, no matter, you know, how, uh, you know, repetitive it gets. Um, um, Cause you know, you want to be in the industry. You want to be around the table when people are discussing deals and, and it's kind of a trade off you're willing to make. Um, for sure. For sure. Cool, man. Okay. So then, then I think I'd yeah. say the last thing I'd say on that super day is that the MD conversations, by the time you make that stage in the day, the conversation is more elevated. Um, MDs, I think, are more curious about, like, well, like, why did you pick your major? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what industry you think would be, like, the most interesting to work within? And, and it, the conversation definitely gets lighter. Um, but they're still trying to solve for the same things, you know? Um, so I just, I don't know. I, for me, at least, I was like, able to relax a bit more and more throughout the day as you move up uh, in seniority. Yeah, and I think that's pretty typical. The, the, you know, the junior bankers are the ones tasked with grilling you little bit more and the senior bankers usually haven't even looked at your resume until you walk in the room and it's just like they pick something from your resume to chat about um very yeah. cool it's interesting so and then the did we um you want to just quickly how how did that differ from like the big four that huge kind of machine down in that that hotel was it similar were there any kind of was yeah. it technical or was it more just trying to get a feel for you well so i did have a case interview there okay and um I think, you know, case interviews are a little bit lighter at the undergrad stage than they, than they are, um, at, you know, kind of at the MBA level. Um, mm-hmm. but I think first round, I didn't have a case. It was just fit, you know, it was just a fit interview. Yeah. Um, you know, behavioral questions around like, 
maybe experience on a team or like leading a team, uh, you know, pretty typical question, like tell me about a time you failed, maybe something testing your intellectual curiosity, like, you know, right. what's your favorite class you took um, in undergrad? Um, because I think, you know, teamwork, intellectual curiosity, pretty, you know, pretty common thing and that you have to demonstrate. Um, For sure. But as far as kind of the, the super day, a thousand kids uh, <laughs> kind of stayed overnight at this big hotel complex. Um, so crazy. Everyone's nervous because you got the case interview. <laughs> I've never done a case interview. Um, <laughs> yeah. Had you done any mock interview, I, mock case, case interviews? interviews? Had you done, I assume you practiced I before didn't do going? Any, no? I didn't do any mock ones. I did, I read, you know, I read case in point yeah. um, and did some on my own. Yeah. And, you know, you can kind of practice that way. I think um, it's honestly, I'd say that's enough prep for an undergrad consulting interview. I don't mm-hmm. think the cases ever get too intense. Um, the, I'll say the case itself was, you know, kind of you sit in a room, you do like one fit interview and then they like, they're like you know, just, so you know, the next person is going to give you this case, you know, take out a pen and like a sheet of scratch paper um, and get ready. And, you know, I think people have a, people have a, you know, an idea in their head of like a case interview is going to be like a brain teaser um, or something that's like trying to trick you. But really the way they're written, I think is very logical and um, they usually don't push too hard on the math. Um, it's not about, can so you do tricky example, math in your head? It's about, can you think logically of what's important about the, the company and the industry and stuff like that? Right. And if right. there, if there is math, probably just testing, like, how are you paying attention? Because mm-hmm. it'll be something that like, you have to know that the units are like in millions instead of billions. Right. And like, if you're talking about people, like, know that if you say anything about people in like the billions it's probably wrong you know, stuff <laughs> like that that's like they're just trying to get a sense of like do you realize what you're saying do you have common you know, sense did you accidentally yeah. stumble and say you know <laughs> yeah. this company will make five thousand dollars if they make this investment and it's like is that a lot of money no <laughs> well no <laughs> so you know it's like stuff like that it's like testing you know if you're if you're actually listening to yourself um Got it. This one, which I think, the, and I think back in the case, it make, you know, it makes a lot of sense. That, you know, this is a, a classic strategy and operations in a role. This was a supply chain case. Mm-hmm. And they just gave us this sheet of paper that was really just a diagram of a factory floor. And it said, you know, kind of there were four stations on this, on this chart. And I forget, it was an assembly line for like TVs or something. It just told you, you know, the, you know, like how long it took however many people to perform that task yep. on, you know, one unit. And they you know, kind of slide it across the table and they're like, you know, take, take a few seconds, make some notes if you need to, just try to figure out what's going on here. And then you slide it back and, you know, he asks you, he's like, well, what, what are you looking at? So first you walk them through like, basically proving, yes, I can read a graph. This is a workflow for a TV. Um, there are four different steps in the production process of a TV. Um, you know, first you assemble the components. It's an operations case. Bo- you know, where's the bottleneck, that type of thing? Yeah. 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 yeah, and, then, yeah and then the next step, yeah, you beat me. It's like, then yeah. they come back and they're like, all right, well, like, where's the bottleneck? Right. And then, like, so you're like, okay, I hear it's set three. And then they're like, how do you know that? You're like, well, there's only two people working there. 
it takes an hour per TV. So without even knowing, like, without even seeing the factory floor, I know that's where the bottleneck is. Right. Be like, well, what should we do about it? You say we should hire more people, or we should invest in technology at that step. Um, so I think you know, pretty straightforward case. Right. Very cool. Awesome. So you obviously were successful during the the interview process, or you wouldn't have gotten the job. And so you ended up. Um, getting the job and then basically, yeah, tell me how that, that's how that went and how that started. Yeah. Um, you know, consulting firms are great. They have their own, you know, training sessions when you start out as a, you know, as a new consultant that are a lot of fun. Um, you learn how to make PowerPoint slides, learn how to like work in a team and, you know, problem solve and, you know, start to work on your, your presentation skills. Um, which, you know, might be a little bit different than, you know, a training program at an investment bank, but never gone through that. So I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things about, you know, these big consulting firms, especially in the big four, is that the staffing process can be a little bit of a black box. Um, these firms do a lot of different projects mm-hmm. in pretty much every industry. And so you're really just like kind of dealt cards, your first project. Um, and you, you know, you might have some influence on a, you know, a sector that you're particularly interested in or a type of work. Like if you really want to do supply chain stuff, um, but it's on you to find out what that is and, and really network internally, um, to make sure that like, if a project comes up where they need an entry level consultant, um, and it's in your area of interest, you know, they make sure that they staff you. How do you even know that? Is there like a staffer that you just, that's basically, you know, all the jobs are coming into, or are they posted anywhere? How do you even know how to advocate for those? Or is it just kind of? Yeah. So it's the way I viewed it. And I know this isn't consistent with all firms, but to me, it's like, if you don't have a project, you know, like there's kind of a a clock ticking Mm -hmm. in the background. Because if like, you don't have a project for like a week, they're just going to give you one. Um, so I always saw those you know, kind of like the beach time opportunities as opportunities to network with um, the people, you know, common kind of managers and um, <clears throat> that I just generally liked or that I had heard were working on interesting cases. Mm. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, and you kind of pitch yourself and you, know, you say, you know what, I, you know, I love doing healthcare work. I heard you guys working on a proposal or working on a project for X healthcare company. Um, I'd love to help wherever I can. And maybe that's, you know, helping put a slide together for the proposal. But um, even, you know, even a sign of interest uh, as small as that can, you know, can move you to the top of their list uh, for when they need to go to staffing. They'll say, Hey, is Joe free? Right. Can we grab him for, um, for a project? Um, but it is a lot of emphasis on internal networking ability, um, which you know is, is necessary when the firms are so large. For sure, for sure. I believe about that. I think we've heard that consistently in all all these conversations I've had. Is just if you want to get yourself in the, especially at a large firm like a big four, you need to really just almost know how to maneuver yourself internally. If you want to switch groups, it can be touchy. If you want to, you know, get on the right projects, it can be touchy. You just have to be smart about how you do it and um, build relationships in the, in the right places. 
Um, but okay, so you know, you're there, you're doing well, you're getting on some interesting projects. What I guess you knew right away you wanted to get to private equity before you had even started at the big four, or it was something that kind of, can you tell me about that thought process and kind of how you, the types of projects you were looking to be placed on in order to set yourself up? Yeah, for sure. I think um, if you would ask me when I was in, you know, kind of consulting maybe like for a year or so, Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was going to give private equity recruiting, you know, pre MBA, my best shot um, without a doubt. I, part of me thought maybe I'd have to make an extra move. Um, and that this was like kind of a post business school play, um, uh, for me, but, um, but I wanted to give it my best shot. I wanted to see if I could get there, um, after, you know, the two years kind of standard stint in consulting. Um, and in order to do that, I think, um, you know, I really sought out cases that I thought would speak best, um, to, you know, that, that investing skill set, you know, when I finally got in those interviews, um, didn't always work. You know, I think some of my, some of my projects were kind of just like placeholders and I, you know, I just tried to kind of get the work done, get high reviews and, and kind of move on. But, mm-hmm. you know, there were a couple that I knew, like I knew would be great, uh, things to talk about, um, in my private equity interviews. And, and so those are ones that I really chased out. Um, and I'll give you an example of a couple of those. Sure. That'd be um, great. Maybe the not so good ones and the really good ones. Um, because I think that when it, when it comes down to it, like there's a skill set that's kind of universal to consulting that you need to communicate. Um, and, and then there's kind of these particular cases that have components, uh, that are very relevant for, you know, M and A or private equity transformations. Um, that can be that kind of that extra, um, extra bit of experience that, it will really, you know, pique someone's interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of those, so one of the really good projects that I got on pretty early was a kind of like a corporate uh, corporate venture capital case. Um, a, a you know this big uh, Fortune 500 company was looking uh, to start a new division um, for you know in a new market. Um, they had kind of looked at the M&A opportunities in the space and already decided that they didn't like any of them. Mm-hmm. So they were going to start their own venture and they needed our team to work with kind of the future CEO of that venture to build a, you know, a financial projection model, build a business case um, from like, you know, from, from a market diligence and, and customer diligence perspective for why, you know, they would be successful in this market. But then, ultimately arrive at a number that was like the amount of startup capital that they mm. would need um, to kind of get and so to the CEO um, was already the C- long term C- profitability. And the CEO was already tapped, like they already had identified the CEO or is something like you guys yeah. were okay. Yeah. And that okay. and he was really yeah, they'd already found the CEO and they basically had given him, you know, a couple million bucks to to run this study and to start, you know, kind of picking people within the big you know, Fortune 500 company that he wanted to be on his team. Got it. Um, but it was up to us to work with him to really put his vision on a paper. Um, you know, do financial projections for the first you know five years or so mm-hmm. um, of the venture. Um, figure out you know what scale they would get to, how many employees they might hire Got over it. that time, and then you know continuing to kind of just you know understanding that he had an audience that was the you know the CEO of this Fortune 500 he would eventually have to take that model and, you know, our presentation that we built around it 
to that CEO, um, and maybe that CEO had to take it to the board to get you know funding approval for this new venture. Right. Um, and and it's you know it's kind of like it's kind of like making an investment case, and that's what I saw when I read like the initial overview of the project, which is why I was like, this is one that I just jumped at. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And you know you have like. You have to have a little bit of foresight to like, you know, read the project summary or whatever, you know, internal uh, system is, you know, is being used at the, at the big firms. But, and to just say like, this sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. This sounds like a skill set that is very relevant to investing. And if I can get on this project, I will be able to take away, you know, something very tangible. Absolutely. Um, for my skill set. And so that was when I went, you know, went for um, pretty full force. Awesome. Um, so you got it, obviously, and that was like a yeah. big feather in your cap for your for your CV for your resume. So you were like, any and so then I assume you got maybe one more kind of like that, or you know, maybe one or two more that were, yeah, that were good. Okay. Yeah, I probably I'd say I probably had two more. So I'd say like I got to like a three solid cases that I talked about. Yeah. Um, and I guess briefly <clears throat> on the other two, one was like a competitive diligence. Mm-hmm. It was like we're in this market with a main competitor, kind of like a Coke Pepsi situation. Mm-hmm. And like, we don't know why, but like they consistently have higher margins than us. Mm. And so it was like, go out, use secondary uh, market research, talk to ex employees, um, talk to, you know, do expert interviews at our company and, you know, try to triangulate why they're so profitable. Um, because, you know, on paper, like, we don't see why they would be so much more profitable than us. Um, Interesting. It's very, very cool exercise. We ended up, you know, figuring out that it was kind of the way uh, they structured um, kind of how their sales team and their, this was tend to be a, you know, a CPG company, but how their sales teams and their uh, regional production facilities mm-hmm. were managed. Okay. Um, it was a very interesting case, um, kind of where the P&L, stood within their organization was at a regional level rather than like a factory level. Got it. Um, and it made like, it made their production processes like way more inefficient or um, efficient because you had regions with, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have like regions with like multiple factories or like sharing a factory. Right. Okay. And so you have like so many internal, uh, you know, reports that it, that it made them kind of, have a lot of line switches and right, like right, right, right. inefficient routes and, and stuff like that, that, um, you know, kind of let it led actually to additional work for our firm. Um, but you know, just cool. being there for the, you know, the first part of it was, I thought was kind of the, the real key piece because, you know, talking to experts, doing secondary research, um, you know, figuring out how, how competitive dynamics work within an industry, mm-hmm. um, and connecting some of that stuff to profitability. That is like, private equity 101 um you know great uh i think great skills to bring to the table um no matter what deal you're looking at so it sounds like you kind of knew you wanted to do pe and so when did you kind of did, was there any sort of foundation or groundwork that you laid early on in your career at the big four like you know you're you know um you're not even in the city that you ended up you ended up going to. So how were you even able to recruit remotely? When did that start? Where was it on cycle? Can you tell me, let's just start talking about a little bit of the private equity recruiting process and, and kind of what, yeah. how that went. And was yeah, it just, for sure. yeah. I think, yeah, I think I, I really did kind of parallel process to process, uh, kind of two paths. 
Mm-hmm. One was internally at the big four. Um, I kind of raised my hand and said, I want to start doing M&A stuff. Um, I want to switch over to our deals group um, if possible. Okay. So it's, uh, and, and I think, as you mentioned before, it's really hard to maneuver in, inside these, inside these firms. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they kind of set me up on like a few internal interviews um, to switch over, but like the timeline that they ended up giving me was like longer than a year. And that was and to get what's a transaction advisory right. services or some sort of TA, some sort of transaction valuation. Right. Like deal advisory. Yeah. So it sounds like, like you were considering banking. Like you may, you were, you were thinking, Hey, I may have to get to banking first. Was that the thought? I was thinking, I guess if you, if you look in kind of the classic world of consulting, I was thinking that like the commercial diligence mm-hmm. groups really might be a better step for me. Okay. Like, so I was looking at, you know, anything that looks like an LEK or a Parthenon yep. um, or like a Bain private equity group, but at the big four level where, you know, you're doing these, you know, market research, customer interviews, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I figured like that's, you know, a great way to boost my resume. Then I'll go get an MBA and get to private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, okay. So on the side of that though, I was like, let's just see, let's test the waters for private equity firms. Um, let's get in front of men, as many people as I can right? and, and see what happens. Um, the, so I think some people are probably curious, like if I used recruiters, um, I tried <laughs> like using mm-hmm. a few recruiters. I just, they, I think they just kind of wrote me off. Um, it's just, I just didn't have the profile that screamed like I am a safe candidate to put in front of a client. Of course. Yeah. Um, and they were, so, they were yeah, probably, I yeah, I mean, they were scared. You to talk to them, but low GPA. And then you also had specifically, you know, the very non-traditional background. They were like, I have all these bankers trying to get into PE. Yeah. Why am I going to put a consultant from the big four? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a few of them even like suggested like, Hey, well, I like, think this investment bank when I talk to you or like, you can do that, which is, I think like maybe if I didn't get into a private equity fund, maybe doing like consulting than banking, I could like then MBA could package that into a private equity story. Um, it would have been also an interesting route, but this is like going to investment banking as like an, a very entry level person. Um, so it kind of would have been starting over and I wasn't really sure that was the best move. Um, yeah, no, fair enough. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you okay. no success so with recruiters. Recruiting steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you got to, so first I'd say like LinkedIn is your friend a hundred percent. Like you need to, I, I got premium. You need to do something like that. Um, because I think that when you think about like the, the path of least resistance within the private equity world is you got to try and find people who have done it before, <laughs> you know, firms that hire consultants in general was kind of the, one of the initial filters that I put, uh, on my search. Mm-hmm. And then second, you got to look for like alumni and stuff that, you know, you can connect with, um, whether that's alumni of your big four consulting firm, like they might be in the firm, uh, might be a little older or something like that might be someone that came from like the accounting side, uh, that, you know, was able to land at the fund, um, but then like undergrad alumni. Right. Um, and really I just started hitting the phones. Um, I was kind of a cold call, um, you know, shooting email with a, 
you know, a quick summary in my resume and just try to get a phone call um, where I can introduce myself. What do you think your hit rate uh, was on those? Oh man, pretty, pretty low. 5%? Um, most people were willing to have, I'd say like, 10? most people were willing to have a phone call. Okay. And, and I'd say like with the, yeah, I'd say like probably 25%. That's pretty That's good. Higher than you think. That's pretty good. Because most people are like, if you phrase it in the right way of like, Hey, you know, looking to break into the industry, we'd love some help. Love to hear about your fund, what you guys do. Um, yeah. So usually like most people are willing, I think to help and either grab a cup of coffee or talk to you on the phone. Um, and, and that's really what I did until, you know, you kind of talk to them, you get a sense of like, would they ever actually take a chance and interview you formally? Um, and most, most times it was no, I will tell you that I think out of, I don't know, the 20 or so firms that I had, you know, coffee conversations with, Mm -hmm. um, and probably, I did, I think I did like three formal interviews. Okay. Um, so you're talking like super low hit rate. And of those three, like one, I didn't even get past the first round, but two were like seriously considering me. Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of, I think for different reasons. Um, so the one that I didn't end up working for was a, a specialist in like the healthcare industry. Okay. And it just happened that a lot of my cases happened to be in healthcare. Right. Um, so they saw me as having like a particular se- you know, sector interest. Um, they had, had hired consultants in the past. They were kind of like a firm that does like out of every analyst class, they'll do like one consultant and the rest bankers. Um, just cause they like to, I don't know, have that in the mix for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I felt like it would be decent. Um, it was a you know, very good shop, very well known. Um, had, had done things with consultants in the past, but traditional, more of a traditional shop. Right. Um, and then the other, the other firm, which is where I ended up going to work was, I told you like almost all consultants. Yeah. Um, from, you know, wide variety of firms, I'd say, you know, concentrated in like, you know, Bain and L.E.K. Um, but you might get like Parthenon, you might get, right. um, some like boutique consulting firms, um, but I figured, you know, it, they, this, they're all former consultants. They kind of had a similar skill set. You know, even the MDs were former consultants. And um, speaking to them, I just got a sense that, like, they understand my background a lot more. And they'll know how to use me um, in the, you know, in the deal team. And, like, they know the skills that I bring to the table um, and will teach me what I don't know. Um, and, you know, they know how to, you know, how to train consultants to be good in the private equity world. Great. And so when you were doing the interviews in the formal interview process, was it, since it was a consulting kind of PE shop, um, did, did you have a lot of like case interviews or was, did they give you an LVO modeling test? Or did they just avoid that? So they, yeah, they actually avoided the LVO test. Mm-hmm. Um, they mentally kind of like walked through technicals that were kind of similar to my time in like interviewing for banking roles. Yep. Um, the only LBO test that I had was at like, it was at a, a firm that like was way more heavily towards bankers. Right. And I think it was like, they gave it to me and like, they knew I was going to like bomb it. <laughs> they kind of wanted to see how far I got. I don't know. It wasn't a very good experience, but <laughs> <laughs> these guys, 
So like ever since that happened though, I was like practicing LBO tests like crazy. Yeah, you should have taken our course. Um, you would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, no, I had no. I had uh, I had the uh, I had the you know Wall Street Oasis Excel uh, Excel model. So okay. you know I was trying to learn them and yeah. And even for this fund that was all former consultants, I thought you know what maybe they're just saving it for the final round. So right. I got to be ready anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so the one I, you were given at that fund. Process, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so they, so this is the one where I was ultimately successful. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they didn't do Excel tests. Okay. Their, their, uh, kind of screening process was like a simulation. It was, um, and I think this is getting a little bit more common yep. where firms either give you a deal that they looked at or they give you a public company and they say like, you know, take, you know, they'll give it to you on like a Friday at four o'clock and they'll say, take the weekend, um, you know, come up with some thoughts on this business, maybe put together some slides and come in on Monday and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to tell you the truth, I think that is like, that's the exact type of interview process I needed because it gave me a chance to like actually put in the effort over that, you know, weekend, which no one likes to work on the weekends, but you know, I was like, this is my only shot at private equity. I got to work hard. Right. Um, how long did you Dude, work you know, on it? How many hours did you put that. in? How many hours did you put in over oh, that weekend? A lot. Probably, yeah. <laughs> 20 plus? <laughs> Probably 30 hours. Yeah. 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 Because um, also, I knew I was like, you know, I've been, you know, through this you know, private equity interview process. I'm like getting one interview every 50 phone calls. This you is know, my shot. Uh, yeah, this is your shot. You got to, you know, you got to take, you got to shoot your shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I borrowed stuff that I picked up in consulting, you know, frame mm-hmm. the market picked out competitors, uh, took a point of view on like this company, its growth rate, and even did like, like kind of a diligence exercise that I think really impressed them was like, I called up a few of like their distributors mm. and just like asked what they felt. And it was like, you know, it was like kind of doing my own expert interviews. And like, I think this fund saw that and they were like, this is our guy. It's scrappy. It's go out and get your own data. It's, you know, form an independent view. Did you build a model with that or no? Did they not care about that? Was it more just like you were framing the framing um, the industry? Sorry, it's my it banking. Was, my banking background keeps out. keeps pushing you towards the bottom. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm yeah, just curious. I know. I, I'm trying to remember. There was a like examine the financials and call out any yep. trends you think are important. Yep. There's that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key point on that one was like the last recession. Their like top line dropped thirty percent. Like that was the takeaway. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Rather than like. I think if I build an LBO with this amount of debt, I think you can pay this. It, right. That really never became too much part of the discussion. It was like a uh, yes, no. Do we buy it? Do we not? Got it. And okay, yeah. And and honestly, it's like I think I set up work, but it was like kind of like a mock IC meeting um, for the you know instead of a super day. Right. So you were, uh, you were forced to like, go you know, in and went like, in front of a couple. Yep. You were forced to pitch it to the investment committee. Yeah, a couple yep. partners around the table. Yeah, you got a pitch, um, and they'd obviously looked at this deal, you know. So they're the they're actually experts, and they're going to know where you're starting to kind of spit some BS and where you actually took the time to learn um, reality. Interesting. And so, first off, was that a company that they actually invested in or not? Had they passed on it? So this is one they passed on. Mm-hmm. And that's really the point of the simulation is like, 
really everything was good about this company except for they were like really cyclical and you wouldn't be able to like you might not realize how cyclical they are uh you know you know in parallel with the business cycle until you just looked at like you had to look at the financials and be like look a 30 percent top line drop yeah after the recession crush margins like that is a oh yeah and it's and it's like a death wish for any sort of leverage you would put on this business right like it would not it would go to zero so like you spend the whole, you know, your whole conversation talking about all the good things about this company until you get to your financials page and they're like, yeah, like, well, how bad do you think that 30% drop is? They're supposed to say, like, it's really, really bad. And in fact, we shouldn't be talking about this company at all because there's no way around it. And, <laughs> right. You know, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, but interesting exercise. And I think those simulations, as they get more popular, they can they can test you know how well you're prepared uh, in a very real kind of real life scenario, um, and I think consulting prepares you well for stuff like that. Um, for sure, it'll be interesting to see if private equity firms start kind of if they continue just to pluck primarily from investment banks, or if they start actually considering a little bit more on the uh, more of the consultants and, you know over the years. You know, I think I think firms that use less financial engineering use less leveraged more on the growth equity kind of earlier stage do value the consulting experience more for obvious reasons. It's more about like framing the industry and and understanding it. So. Yeah. And I think we, like I said, like we were almost like a little bit growth buyouts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we tried to have double digit growth rates in all our companies. And that's, I think what led us down that route. Cause you're right. Um, Earlier stage businesses that are more about revenue growth. um, That's, that's where the skill set does really, uh, really become valuable cool <coughs> excuse me well listen is there anything else you'd like to share before we call the pod uh thanks so much for all your wisdom i just um is there anything else like one key takeaway no, uh, you'd give your your younger self um <laughs> yeah i guess uh my key takeaway would be like you know look for the experiences that you think you can spin um and gain value from right like people understand that you know Consulting as a career is kind of a little bit of a random walk. You know, you Mm -hmm. gather a variety of experiences and exposure to sectors. um, But trying to, like, see the actual valuable skill sets you take away from each project and and weave that into a story um, can get get you to a place like private equity. Um, And I think, you know, over time, I do think the consulting skill set is going to become more common in the industry. um, Because I think when, like, you know, Hardcore investing will be where the returns continue to be, and being very operationally involved will become, you know, increasingly important um, mm-hmm. in this industry as it becomes more competitive. Um, Great. I think a lot of firms are kind of noticing that now, and they're going to look for that operational talent, and maybe they'll start hiring more consultants. Awesome. Well, thanks again for all your time and all your wisdom, and thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.